0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 10.45 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. Over the last several Sundays, We've journeyed through the first six chapters, so we're at the halfway point, and we've watched Solomon, also referred to as the teacher or the preacher, live his best life, seeking after knowledge and power, pleasure, vocational success, status, and we've discovered that Solomon seven times in these first six chapters that all of this is vanity, it's It's grasping after smoke and has left him hopeless. But this morning, as we turn to chapter 7, we find a much different Solomon. An older one, one who is looking back at his life and all of his attempts to find meaning and purpose and joy. And this Solomon, as we'll read, might seem a bit calloused, hard grumpy, fatigued. As one pastor described Solomon, here is a granddaddy who has done it all and lived a very long life. And in his final season, he invites you, his grandchild, to come sit with him in a dark room, sip on some black coffee, no cream, no sugar, and you better not ask for it. After a few moments of silence, he takes a deep breath, and begins to share with you all the wisdom that he has found, just hoping that you'll listen to some of it as he tells you all that he's learned and all that has disappointed him. But I think to correctly understand chapter 7, we've got to go back to chapter 6, verse 12, the very final verse of that chapter. And it reads this. It says, For who knows... What is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? That's just a small glimpse of the happiness we'll see this morning. But here in verse 12, we have two very important questions that Solomon asks. Is Who knows what is good for mankind? And who can tell a man what will be after him? And this is the very middle of the book of Ecclesiastes, and in some way Solomon's going to spend the rest of the book seeking to answer those questions. Solomon's asking is, what is good for mankind, or to think about it in the context of where it's written in wisdom literature, is how can we live Wisely. How can we pursue after good? That's the question we're hopefully going to answer this morning as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to break this up into three different sections If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We have extras at the info bar. You can either sneak out and grab one now, or we'll give you one after the service as a gift. We'll also have the text on the screen for you. We're going to start with reading the first 14 verses. scriptures say this, A good name is better than precious ointments, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. And living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise Than to hear the songs of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from the wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good for an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is wisdom perceives the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider that God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us ask for the Lord's help this morning. Our Father, we come to you, and we do ask for your help to understand the hard truths of scriptures. As we look at what Solomon writes, may we be examining our hearts and asking where it is that we need to change to look more like Jesus. Ask where we have fallen short this week in obeying your word. We pray that you would help remove any distractions that might cause us to not pay attention to your word. Father, we pray that as a result of our time together that we would understand your word better, that we would look more like Jesus, and that these would be your words and not mine. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to see first, in looking at these first 14 verses, the mystery of living wisely, where Solomon, throughout this chapter, is going to have these contrasting ideas. He's going to paint a picture for us that humanity naturally longs for prosperity, but that true meaning is found in hardship. And in pain. So Solomon starts off by pointing out that a good name is better than a precious ointment. And he's kind of writing this like another book of the Bible you might be familiar with, and that's the Proverbs, which are kind of these pithy statements on how to live wisely in the world. That it seems to point out, hey, to live wisely, do this, this, and God will bless And Solomon here points out first that a good name is better than a precious ointment. And a precious ointment is meant to symbolize here wealth or luxury. Now, what Solomon is not saying is that wealth and luxury are bad, but simply saying that a good name or a good reputation is better. Solomon says that we all naturally would desire wealth, But a good name, a good reputation might be harder to achieve, but it's actually better for you. It's like this idea that someone says, like, oh, I went and I did this on a vacation trip. And someone goes, well, you did that. Well, I went here and had this experience. We have this natural kind of competition with each other of, hey, that was good, but this is better or there's this youth activity called bigger and better where you start with something small and you kind of go door-to-door neighborhoods and see if someone's going to give you something better you start with a paper clip and you say hey i've got this paper clip do you have something better for me And eventually people can get things like bicycles or cars or whatever if you do it long enough people are willing to give you better things and that's what Solomon is telling us as we look through this, because I'm sure as I read through and you were reading along, you're like, I'm not sure how some of these things are better. How is it better to go to a funeral versus a party? And Solomon's helping us think through life in this lens. And he starts building his case after saying a better reputation is better than luxury or wealth. He says, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Which you might hear that, read that, and think, well, we just celebrated the birth of a new baby. How can a funeral be better than that? And Solomon in these first four verses is going to compare mourning, sorrow, sadness, and a funeral. He's going to say those are better than feasting, laughter, mirth, or jubilation, or joy. Now we have to ask a question, is Solomon saying he's wishing for death and grief and suffering? And like he's like, yeah, give me all the hard stuff that no one wants in their life. No. Is he saying that days of feasting and laughter and celebration are bad? No. But what Solomon is saying to us is that in order to live a wise life, we have to understand that painful experiences and painful seasons are actually better than prosperity and celebration. Because it's through pain and discomfort that can cause us to wrestle with the true meaning of life and existence. He's saying all those things are good. He's saying partying is great, celebrating is great, laughter is great. I mean, as we've read about Solomon, that guy knew how to party. But he's saying there's something better than that to teach you how to live wisely. In moments of sorrow and grief and loss, we will naturally find ourselves asking deeper questions about humanity, about our purpose, about our own existence. We could find ourselves asking the question, why? How could something so tragic happen? Why would God allow me to experience this discomfort when I've asked him many times to remove it? I think this becomes most evident to us in attending funerals where we are forced to think about our own mortality, wrestling with the thoughts of how we interacted with individuals before they passed away, things we wish we had told them, things we wish we hadn't spoken to them, when is it that I will pass away? Solomon's point to is that pain, suffering, and sorrow are great teachers for us because it causes us to search for a deeper truth gives us answers that prosperity and celebration could never give us. I think back over my life, and for whatever reason, I've attended many funerals. The one that most clearly sticks out for me in my mind is when my friend who served as a youth pastor was coming back from youth camp, and their bus crashed, and he passed away, and his pregnant wife passed away, and many students were severely injured, that at his funeral, I cried, I wept, I was angry at God, and I asked those questions. Why? Why would you allow something like this to happen? How can you be good When my friend was serving you as a youth pastor bringing kids back from church camp and yet you saw fit to take him away. Pain and sorrow has a way of teaching us to ask these hard questions to answer what it is that we truly trust and hope in. Because when we face Hard situations, if we're trusting in something that isn't permanent, it's going to cause us to doubt, to fear, to grow weary, to grow sorrowful, to question everything about our lives. And Solomon jumps to verses 13 and 14, and then he gives us this thought. He says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider that God has made one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And here Solomon is pointing us to God to his sovereign plan, and his plan, God's, includes days of prosperity and pain. That even in the joyful days, in the happy days, God is in control. And in our worst days of suffering, sorrow, grief, pain, hardships, Solomon is reminding us that God is still in control and that that can be our only comfort because he says that man may not find out anything that is after a meeting. We don't know what it is that God is doing or working out. Solomon is pointing us to the fact that prosperity and celebration are good things. We should rejoice at celebrating different things, but living wisely sees pain as a better teacher that it can point us to how to live faithfully in a very frustrating world. Think of the book of Job, where Job is portrayed as a righteous man who loves God and yet undergoes immense suffering and pain and sorrow and grief, that his body has physical ailments That he cries out to God and he asks questions like, Why is this happening to me? Why has my family been taken from me? Why are my fields being destroyed? And God comes back to him and says, Where were you, Job? When I created the heavens and the earth. Where were you, Job? When I put the stars in the sky. Where were you, Job? When I formed you in your mother's womb. And throughout the rest of the book, to jump to the end, Job never really gets the answer to his question. Instead, he gets the answer that he needed, that God is still in control over all things, even when everything seems out of control. So we focus really heavily on these first four verses to see that pain, hard things are actually good for us, although we have a tendency to want to resist the painful, hard things and choose the really good things. We see in verse number 5 that it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of a fool. That it may be hard to hear truths that you're living unwisely, that you're living in sin, but hearing that hard truth is actually better for you than listening to people that are going to encourage you to live your best life now instead of following after God. We have this tendency to want to escape really hard things to pursue after easy things. In the story of Abraham, Abraham and his nephew Lot, they come to a point where they're going to separate ways. They've realized that they're herds are too big; that they've grown too large and their servants, and they come to this land, and they look out, and Abraham says, Lot, you can have whichever lands you want. And over here, you have this really beautiful luscious grass and streams, and everything seems really great over here. But then on the other side, you have like desert and dirt, and picture like thorns, not good grounds for planting things. And Abraham goes, Lot, you pick whatever you want. Lot goes, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take the really easy route. But in choosing that, that led him into further sin and further away from God. And Abraham went the hard route where he could have chosen the easy route and instead God significantly blessed him. It says in verse 10, say not why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this, that we have this temptation in our hearts to look back at the glory days, to think when we're in really hard seasons, that man, life was better at this moment in my life. Life was better when this didn't exist. Life was better before fill in the blank. And yet Solomon says that is not living wisely, that although you're in a hard season, that season you're in is exactly where God wants you to be. The children of Israel, when they were led out of Egypt, they come to the banks of the water and they see that there's no path to go and that the Egyptians are coming and they go, was it not better when we were slaves in Egypt for 400 years? And we could probably laugh and be like, that's really dumb. Like, why would we want to go back and be slaves and be in a hard time instead of being free? It's because We get uncomfortable in hard situations. And Solomon wants us to lean into being uncomfortable to see that God works in ways that we may not understand for our good to draw us closer to him. That pain is a great teacher. As we continue looking at this chapter, starting in verse 15 through 22 is our next section that Solomon gives us. He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life and his evil doings. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. From the one who fears God shall come out of both of them. Wisdom gives strength To the wise man, more than to ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servants cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourselves have cursed others. The mystery of living Extremely. And Solomon points out the really difficult reality for us that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. But at the same time, we read throughout scriptures that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will be punished. And what Solomon is teaching us is that although this principle is true, it is not a guarantee this side of heaven. He acknowledges that sometimes life gets turned upside down or feels backwards when we look out in the world and see people doing great wickedness and seemingly being blessed by God because of it. That this side of eternity, those who love God will suffer and those who hate God will prosper. And from this realization, Solomon says, don't be extremely righteous, but also don't be extremely wicked. He says that the one who fears God will come out from both. What is Solomon telling us? Is he really instructing us as followers of God to not pursue after righteousness? Is he giving us permission to pursue after some wickedness? The answer is no. That would contradict all of the teachings of Scripture to pursue after wickedness. Rather, what Solomon has in view here is the extremes of what we can categorize as extreme righteousness and extreme wickedness. Extreme wickedness is probably pretty self-explanatory, that it's like doing really bad things over and over and over again and not caring about who it affects. So we're going to start with extreme righteousness. Solomon is pointing us to seeking after righteousness in the wrong manner draws us away from actually following God. That extreme righteousness is the pursuit of righteous living that attempts to manipulate God so that he will give you something that you want or that he will change your current circumstances. Solomon is speaking directly to us as churchgoers. That if we're really honest with ourselves, I suspect that all of us are guilty of this at some point in our Christian lives. Thinking, if I change my behavior to something that is good, God is going to love me more, or it's going to change my situation, or God is going to bless me extremely well because I did these good things for him, and we view our relationship with God as very transactional. I did this for you, God, therefore you should give me this blessing. I did this for you, you should remove this hard situation from me. I faced this this week as I was preparing for the sermon. As I was praying and reading and meditating and researching the truths of God's Word, that I might speak truthfully and carefully to you. I had thoughts come into my mind about how not only you might be blessed by the preaching of God's Word, but that God might bless me through faithfully preaching His Word. And thinking that I could receive some special blessing by doing something extremely righteous preaching and communicating God's word, and yet at the same time thinking, man, this is going to be really good for me. And that is just an example of the own wickedness of my heart that I struggle with, that we have this tendency to view our relationship with God transactionally that we could say, man, I'm going to do this for God. He's going to give me great blessing. Solomon says that is wickedness. He says, even your best attempt at righteousness, you still choose to sin. And on the other side, when Solomon switches to talking about extreme wickedness and says, don't be extremely wicked, I think Solomon's also acknowledging that this side of eternity, even after we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we will still struggle to sin. That in the Christian life, we have this hard concept that we are saints who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and yet we still choose to sin against our good, holy, heavenly Father. And Solomon here is encouraging us, along with the entirety of Scripture, that in order to not be foolish in how we live our lives. We are to flee our sinful desires and not allow them to control our lives. That when he contrasts extreme righteousness and extreme wickedness, he doesn't say one is better than the other. He says you need to reject both of them because they will lead you down a path far away from God. He says instead, what is good is to have a right relationship and understanding of who God is and that the reason we pursue after righteousness is not so we gain merit with God, but so that we can live a life that has been radically changed by the good news of the gospel, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on our cross knowing how wicked we truly are. In our response to Jesus' sacrifice is to live in obedience to his word. If this hasn't been as hopeful as you thought, just look at verses 23 to the end of the chapter. And he says, And this I have tested by wisdom. I have said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off And deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I found something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her. But the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Solomon, in his search for wisdom and goodness, finds out it is just not enough. We read in 1 Kings chapter 3 that God blessed Solomon tremendously, giving him such incredible wisdom that was greater than any before him and would be greater than anyone after him. And yet Solomon admits that the true depth of wisdom, a.k.a. the mysteries of God and his plans, are far deeper than he could ever grasp that the wisest man to ever walk the earth said the depths of God cannot be reached. And he gives this example of pursuing after it. As he gets close, it's just out of grasp. It's just a little bit too far from him. Even though he desperately wants it, he simply cannot reach it to understand how it is that God works or how it is that God plans for everything to work together. And instead, he comes to this conclusion in his pursuit for everything, that men and women are rotten, miserable creatures. He's basically saying that humanity stinks. Verse 29, see this alone I have found. This is the one thing I have found in all of my searchings. That God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. That humanity consistently pursues after other things. And Solomon embraces the truth that humanity has fallen far from their creator. And that humanity is in desperate need of their holy and righteous God. And Solomon, in his pursuit to find things that are good and find meaning in life, he has sought it in sex, power, women, authority, status, money, wisdom, humanity, success. And he finds it all missing what he's looking for. Solomon, after chasing all of these things, comes come to the conclusion that humanity is so broken and in desperate need of a holy God. But Solomon looks, and he realizes that, truthfully, God is the only true good. That so we look at this, and he says, I have looked among all the men. I've only found one good one. I've looked among all the women, and I didn't find any good ones. Just as a reminder of the women Solomon hung out with, they were not great to start with. He's not saying that men are better than women. He's just saying everyone's really bad. That everyone doesn't pursue after God. That there's much wickedness in their hearts. Pretty bleak message, huh? But Solomon is asking a simple question of how do we live wisely? How do we take... All that he's written to us and think about it and how we live our daily lives. Solomon wants us to turn our thinking upside down and encourage us to actually live backwards. Started with pain is better than prosperity. And then he says, even our righteous attempts are stained by sin. He finishes with, humanity just stinks. But remember where we started, that in the sadness, in the gloom, and the hard truths, those are meant to teach us about God. Sorrow, pain, and hard truths are meant to be professors in this class we call life. All this bad news that Solomon gives to us points to actual good news that the ultimate answer to our question is what is good or how do I pursue life wisely is found in God, which may sound like a a really easy Sunday school answer for you, but it doesn't make it any less true that God is the only true good from which all goodness flows that Jesus, God made flesh, claimed this same truth in Mark chapter 10 verse 18 when the rich young man comes to him and refers to him as good teacher and wants to know about eternal life and Jesus responds to his statement with a powerful question. Why do you say that I am good? There is no one good except God. Jesus isn't contradicting the young man but was challenging him to think about the deeper reality that standing in front of him was Jesus who is good because he is God. That this good teacher, this good God stepped down from heaven to take on the human problem that Solomon highlights and that's sinfulness or wickedness by living a truly good life God-honoring life, a life lived wisely in light of who God is. During Jesus' life, he endured pain, immense pain, knowing it was a part of God's plan, that he lived a truly righteous life, free of all wickedness and sin, He is the one human throughout all of history who doesn't stink because he is truly God. Here's the twist. Although he was perfect, sinful humanity rejected him and sent him to death. Jesus offered himself up as a human sacrifice on a Roman cross and we ask the same question we ask at funerals, why? Why did Jesus, this truly good God, have to do this? Jesus did it to live a perfect life in our place because we couldn't. And he died perfectly in our place so that we wouldn't have to. In order to offer us what truly good life we can have in him. I think Solomon is exaggerating here to say, I only found one one person, to highlight how few good people there really are, and it's none. But with our understanding of the whole Bible, we know that there was one good person, Jesus. And if you're searching for the good life, the world says to look inside yourself but Solomon points us to the reality that inside ourselves there is just sinfulness. There is no goodness. Goodness is only found in God alone, in Christ alone. And when you center your life around God, only then will you find true meaning and true purpose and true hope and true goodness and true life. Solomon is pointing to the reality that we need someone greater than us to intervene in our lives because of our sinfulness. He paints this bleak picture to point out how great God truly is. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about living faithfully in a frustrating world. And we can look at this and be like, man, that is just not a happy message. A lot of sadness, a lot of hard truths. But in the tension, hopefully you have felt in looking through this picture, you come to one more conclusion. For those who are followers of Jesus, we too should seek to be the one among the thousand that is living righteously. The psalmist says, I have looked across all of humanity and I found just one righteous person. As I said, he's just exaggerating. He's painting a picture about how there aren't good people, but as followers of Jesus, we have Jesus' righteousness living inside of us so we can pursue after what is good. And we should seek to be that one among the many who is living rightly and pursuing after God. That the challenge to us is in a world that says, hey, live your best life, follow your heart, chase after what you want to make you happy. We should reject all of those lies and instead pursue after God And in doing so, that is how you live wisely on the earth. All other pursuits and paths is foolishness. Psalm is saying, why are you chasing after parties when you can have something better? Why are you pursuing after the easy things when the hard things are good for you? Why are you trying to be good on your own when Jesus was good enough for you on the cross? Why are you doubting God's goodness when you know he is sovereign over all? He is trying to make us uncomfortable to see how big and great our God is. And that pursuing after him is our only hope in this world because everything else leads to evil schemes. We rightfully understand our place before God looking back at verse 13 that says who can make straight what God has made crooked meaning we cannot change what God has determined to happen but instead we can trust and live faithfully in light of who he is.